0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 231st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still stands, as should we all, with the movement to end racial injustice and to fund police services in favor of more effective options. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of The gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter, my co-host this week for the first time ever in the co-host seat is MTG Finance Emeritus and MTG Price staff writer Jason E. Alt, a.k.a. at Jason E. Alt on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing valuable information with all of you. This show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby and me.
0: <laughs> MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number five, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Jason, do you have any idea what order we put these segments in and what's on the agenda this week? Uh, James, this week we have our usual four segments. First off is uh,
1: Top Movers. We're going to walk you through the cards with the biggest gains. I think then we should go on to our picks of the week. James and I will share what we think are some of the best places to park your Magic dollars. After that, why don't we go to some tournament results to discuss that sort of thing and how the bandings will affect all of that, and uh, then
0: we'll talk about D&D as an eSport and what that means for Magic. I mean that's pretty close because that's what we have you know written in our totally out of date intro document that I shared with Jason. I'm reading off of it like yeah I was I was curious whether you had any idea what segment order we use. So that that is our normal segment order and uh, I'm sure at one point we did talk about DD as an esport. <laughs> but tonight we're going to go with MGGO metagame we can review which we've uh, taken to doing at the top of the order uh, did you give me the, the wrong era. show
1: notes as a joke that's so weird that you would
0: do that to me you're <laughs> no, like we've just jason's I, our co-host tonight i oh, did it wrong what an idiot <laughs> I, I i super lamely forgot to point out that that paragraph is is usually ad hoc these days since COVID started uh, so segment two will be the top paper movers and the top magic online movers, which we've uh, broken out into a sub since, uh, magic online took the front and center at the start of COVID. Then we've got the paper cards to watch segment three. We've got picks from me, picks from Jason and a, uh, pro trader member pick of the week. And then we're going to move on to the topic of the week in segment four with, uh, some discussion about, Double Masters trends here and in Europe, some of the box-cracking action that's been going on and how it's affecting prices, and we're going to take a deeper dive into Jason's article from Price this week, where he talks about uh, a whole bunch of call-outs from Double Masters that are likely to see gains uh, over the next year or two. Um, starting from the top, Jason, I'm sure you heard, as did we all yesterday, that Monday uh, was surprise Band day over at Wizards.
1: Yeah, normally they give us like a week to bite our fingernails, I guess. And then nobody... I mean, it was always a possibility, but no one
0: really saw it coming. That was interesting. Yeah, and I guess that probably the biggest impact, in paper at least, were there any paper being played, was the kind of like full sweep of uh, combo targeting bannings for Pioneer. So we had Inverter of Truth banned, uh, which takes out the blue-black inverter deck. We have Kethis the Hidden Hand Band, I think a little preemptively in Pioneer, um, because clearly the combo was a contender and was probably poised to yeah. step up to the plate as it Tier 1. It would
1: have been a problem immediately, and they don't want to do another round of band, so I think they they cut a little deep just so they don't have to do a second round, which
0: it's fine, right? It makes sense. Yeah, it certainly slows down anybody that's holding Emery's. um, Between Astrolab getting tanked in Modern and Keth is getting tanked in Pioneer, uh, action for Emery and Constructed is is certainly a little halted. Thankfully, it's still a pretty strong EDH card. Uh, Walking Ballista is banned, so the uh, Heliod-Walking Ballista combo has been targeted in Pioneer. Underworld Breach is banned, so the Lotus Breach deck is gone. I mean, they've basically just gone through and said Pioneer is not a combo format. Now that's, I guess that's what they want. I mean, no
1: one's playing Pioneer, so I think part of it is that Pioneer sucked.
0: And I think part of why Pioneer sucked was those cards. Yeah, a lot of this seems to stem from how Pioneer was going on Magic Online. They were having a lot of trouble filling even 32-player uh, major tourney events. They had at one point had a 64 player minimum that they had to drop to 32. They did that for a while, then they bounced it back up to 64. Then they were having trouble filling those. And it seemed to be that every week when we were looking at top eight results from those tournaments, it seemed to be like A, the same players playing and B, the same decks in the top eight. So this certainly helps, you know, give the Magic Online meta a chance to breathe. Very curious what what things will look like. 6 9 12 months from now if when paper magic rejoins in earnest um, you know whether pioneer will be even of interest to people at that point um, or whether the window of opportunity to you know really get some support structure under that format will have passed i think if they push it it'll it'll be a thing they've
1: demonstrated their ability to impose their will because they introduced Brawl a little early, and everyone's like, oh, thanks, we hate it. And they're like, oh, well, don't worry, there's support for Brawl coming in nine months. <laughs> right. Because it's literally, we're we're all in Vegas, and Gavin's like, hey, how do you guys like Brawl? We're like, we sure hate it, because nobody wants a DDH deck where your cards rotate. And he's sort of like, oh, that's too bad. I thought people would get excited for Brawl f- for nine months, and then the decks would come out, and... So they're just sort of like, hey, these decks are coming out. EDH players will like them, and some of these cards will impact Standard, crazily enough. But uh, also, Brawl is a thing, and it's just it's going to be a thing. And they asked people to build Brawl decks and play with them, with people. And those of us who kind of think that having Wizards owe you a favor is a good idea, did it. <laughs> so... <laughs> brawl just—it's sort of a thing, and people are sort of like, "Okay, I, I'll have, I'll have a brawl deck." You know, I build an Oathbreaker
0: deck. I'm not gonna not build a brawl deck. And, and notably, Brawl is supported on Arena, right? Mm-hmm uh, So it it has uh, more legs than it would otherwise if that were not the case. Now, over in Standard, they banned a whole bunch of stuff, and in, kind of oddly, given that this stuff was gonna, a lot of this stuff was about to rotate anyway. 90 Wilder- days or
1: something like that
0: yeah like wilderness reclamation's gone growth spiral banned teferi, teferi time raveler banned cauldron familiar banned so here we have the wilderness rec decks which were clearly running rampant in the current standard we had a pro tour event last weekend that nobody really much seemed to care about um you know side topic about how far uh competitive magic has fallen from its heyday, especially during COVID. Um, growth Spiral. Every you know, pro after pro after pro was talking online about how the card was a problem. To Fairy Time Traveller. People generally hate the card if they're not playing with it. And then Cauldron Familiar was a linchpin card in the sacrifice decks, uh, alongside Mayhem Devil, etc. Cauldron uh, Familiar with uh, Witch's Oven and various brews that were either jund or black red. There was Corbold decks and some other variants. All of that's been swept aside and we get this kind of, we're going to get this weird standard pioneer, you know, breath of fresh air for a few months. And then who knows what Zendikar Rising will do. So it, it seems like in the past,
1: what they would do was make a card like Growth Spiral two colors. So they're like, yeah, it's going to be ubiquitous, but it's not going to be in every deck because people who aren't playing blue green can't play it. And then everyone's just like, you made the mana too good. Like, our mana is so good that, like, why would you not play blue-green? Also, there's Uro running around. So, like, Gross Spiral just, like, was just so easy to play that there was no reason not to. So, I I think they may have to re-examine some of their assumptions about how inaccessible two-colored cards are. You know, maybe three colors is a new color, the the new two colors, for the purposes of making the card less accessible to every deck in the format. So... Mm
0: it's uh, uh, you go ahead it's really hard to not circle back to the premise that wizards just doesn't have a robust enough testing team yet they they say that they test but not really for formats other than standard and draft it feels like they just need to add more bodies to that team the the company can support it the money is there we just saw the the quarterlies and this is still a four or $500 million a year brand, maybe uh, maybe more depending on how you break out uh, digital from the paper game. And testing would have fixed a lot of the problems this year. Like from 20, 2006 to 2016, I think we had two bannings in standard. And we've had something like 12 in the last year or something like that. And... You know, this could have been, at this point of the year, had they banned nothing, we could have had Oko and Teferi in with Growth Spiral and Wilderness Reclamation with Nexus of Fate, if I'm not mistaken, or would that have rotated already? I guess Nexus. No, it, it doesn't rotate till... That was a Core 20 card? That was a yeah. box topper in Core 20, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't rotate till the fall. So yeah, they could have had Nexus and then Once Upon a Time in various configurations just absolute bustedness all over the place so very curious to see whether the you know zendikar rising through the fall of 2021 is going to be have as many banning problems as this past year has because i think that would be a real problem for there
1: wasn't a gimmick other than good cards to sell throne of eldraine sure right like the gimmick in like core set is like, Hey, there's these new premium cards. And I think Zendikar rising is like, do we have fetch lands or, you know, like what do we have to fill that landfall spot? Like those sets are good. Zendikar sets are good. Sometimes. (laughs) Um, so, so like, I think absent a gimmick, they had to push the power level on throne. And I think that's where the problem started. And they, may be able to scale that back because i kind of think some hasbro person was like sell packs idiots and they're like yeah that's what we do and they're like no
0: every set has to be the best selling set and arguably that goes all the way back to war of the spark because that's where the power creep really starts to take off and yeah has continued pretty much set by set ever since we've had banned cards from almost every set i think except icoria core 21 doesn't have anything that's been called out yet right Uh, correct. So, they have some work to do there. And I worry that the combination of COVID and, you know, people pivoting into Commander so that they can play paper online with their friends is going to make it really hard to reignite the fire for Standard when when we reconvene the gathering, as it were, down the road. Um, Standard is... It's meat and potatoes, though. Like,
1: they they will do what they need to do to get people playing Friday Night Magic Standard. And even when Standard's bad, that's the primary format they introduce the game to people with. So, a non-competitive format like EDH is almost, like, irrelevant because everybody, almost everybody plays both now, right? So,
0: I think Standard will be fine. It, Standard can take care of itself, you know. One of the things I think is interesting is that now that we know with Zendikar Rising, we have the introduction of set boosters, which decouple booster packs for standard sets from the need to draft. Set boosters are more targeted at collectors. They're about having a higher density of interesting and exciting cards, good pulls, as it were. And I wonder if they can't just take that a step further and start releasing draft packs per set that are... Just about draft. So you can start to pull out a bunch of the crazy bombs that are in there for Constructed that end up um, making Sealed kind of a miserable experience where, you know, at a, your average pre-release, whoever opens the most bombs almost always wins. Um, the guy with you, two shock lands is complaining. I'm like, yeah, you got two Shocklands and they're like, these are unplayable. Yeah. So the I, I'm curious whether Magic Standard should just be stuff... In packs for collectors something between set boosters and collector boosters and draft packs that are that are just the ultimate draft experience very finely tuned for great drafting and whether that might be a better approach as opposed to leaving normal booster packs which is what they're doing for now starting in zendikar rising and then having these set boosters i'm curious as to whether that's the evolution path we're headed for
1: they're good at tweaking and they'll make something up too Cause like every time we thought they couldn't figure out a way to get people excited, they introduce a new product. Like those, um, those, like the the decks that were just like for FNM, right? Yeah, like sure. those sold really well because it was like, here's a bulk rare, so here's four of them, but you Ch- need them. Challenger decks. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, the- so you don't have to open a million boosters to get four Bomac Couriers. Especially if you're at the shop and you just want to play FNM and you're going through the case and it's like, well, we have two BOMAC couriers in the case and we have one Scarab God and just like there's, we have 75% of the five different decks you could play. Having a product for that was great. It made some of the uh, the staples affordable, but like left alone a lot of the EDH stuff that was going to grow long term. Like that was a great product. So. I think if the, the set booster thing does work out, they may have a draft-only product, or they may just keep the booster pack as we know it for that sort of thing, and that's fine too. But it seems like coming up with ways to reprint cards is like the only thing they're good at.
0: <laughs> I mean, arguably, mystery boosters are are in some ways that product that was certainly meant to be a draft-focused product. It was more targeted at events plus F&M. Um, Gavin Verhe is a genius. Like, for sure. Like, if you look
1: at his resume, like, all the stuff he's come up with, like that, plus Battle Bond, plus
0: Conspiracy... Like, anytime they're like, Gavin, go work on a project, It's it's it has something for everybody. Yeah, and he pretty much brought that one home by himself. Isn't that the story? Yeah. All right, so wrapping up the band talk, we had a historic... Uh, which is only really played on Magic Arena, uh, banning Wilderness Reclamation and Teferi Time Raveler, and then Brawl, uh, Teferi Time Raveler, taken out of uh, people's hair. So because of all that, the Magic online metagame week and review uh, that is relevant Tuesday, the day after the bannings, is really just a look at modern leagues because there hasn't been a major event of note for Pioneer or Standard since the banning, so we'll be talking about that next week. So what I did was I went through and just tried to pull out some interesting decks. We haven't done this in a while, and we've mostly been looking at top eights lately. But I wanted to see if there's just anything that had popped up in Modern that might p- pique people's interest, that might signal that you know certain cards are seeing more play than expected, or might give people something interesting to try out on Magic Online. The first one I wanted to highlight was... Uh, first one on this list out of the link that uh, i gave you jason by cordo twin is a Salty dredge slash mill deck it's got 32 creatures including three Gravecrawler, four hedron crab four merfolk secret keeper four narcomoeba four prized amalgam four silver smote ghoul four stitcher supplier three uro titan of nature's wrath and four vengevine with four creeping chill and four glimpse the unthinkable so you glimpse yourself with this deck. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I tried to make this work at Modern FNM a few years back with a um, uh Not Dredge. What's the mechanic on Dig Through Time? Oh, Delve. Delve. Thank you. I'm surprised I knew it. I'm really bad about stuff like that. I wanted to use Glim- Glimpse the Unthinkable to stock the graveyard to set up Delve cards like tassigers and hooting mandrills treasure cruises and dig through times and uh never really got there a row. It, it needed a row <laughs> yeah and i guess creeping chill too was probably released after after i had that thought yeah um, that's a nice one anyway this this deck is uh a bit of a work of art for dredge mill aficionado so certainly worth a look um, unlikely to be financially relevant since like, this is the kind of thing that lurks on the fringes with like one, exactly one Brainiac that brings it to every tournament online and scares the shit out of people when they don't know what they're playing. I kind of like the next deck on the list a little bit more than that. So this next one was from Haruki Special, and it's notable because it's a Sultai Snow list in the post-Arkham's Astrolab era. One of the chief responses I noted on social media when Astrolab was banned in modern was that snowlands were no longer relevant. Um, and yet here we have <laughs> just a few weeks later a sulite list that has many of the same components and not it's, a... it's snow just for icefang because that's how good right. it is. yeah and and I guess because they can bluff other things. There, are, there, are, there is still some minor amount of bluff value and no real downside to running the Snowlands. So, like so nothing even as, in
1: the board of this deck.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Um, and yet, here we are. Snowlands still doing fine. Now the other side of the Snowcoin is that we're pretty sure Rumor Mill ge- generating the Whispers that we're going to a snow-themed world come second set well second set of the the cycle but first set of 2021 uh kaldheim is the name that's been floating around uh which is a known magic plane that is viking-esque so would not at all be surprised to see snow cards back in relevance not too long in the future Moving right along, we've got a green red titan build that jumped out at me as being fairly interesting because it was running a Kogla, the Titan Ape.
1: <laughs> it's also running a Sire of Insanity, which means if uh Corbin Hostler had named this deck for Channel Fireball events, he would have called it Jundman Range.
0: <laughs> Fair. But this is um, uh,
1: this Gruul Titans.
0: Yeah. Grill Titans, 28 land in this bad boy, 4 Castle Brig, notably, uh, the Kogla and the Sire being notable one ofs, 2 Chandra Torch of Defiance, of course it's got 4 Prime Time, 3 Worm Coil Engine, 3 Chalice of the Void to shut down the uh, the uh, low casting cost decks. And, and, anything, and any
1: deck where your creatures cost less than 6 mana is low casting cost <laughs> compared to this deck. Yeah,
0: exactly. So anyway, Set Chalice
1: yeah. on 2, 3, and 4
0: and you're fine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm going to Chalice for 4 on turn 3. Why? <laughs> You'll see. So there's a there's a deck here by Sondrak. Went 5-0. and oh. This is a Naya build of the Clothis green-red decks with uh, Blood Moon or Magus of the Moon. In this case, no Blood Moons in the main. Two in the sideboard. But it's three Renin Six, four Bloodbraid Elf, two Clothis, two Magus of the Moon, two Scavenging Ooze, four Season Pyromancer, four Stoneforge Mystic. This is where the the Naya comes into the gruel, uh, four Tarmogoy, four Lightning Bolt, three Path to Exile, and then a Batterskull, three Chromatic Star, a sort of Feast and Famine, and a sort of Fire and Ice. I mean, if you're gonna build this deck, you get all sorts of sweet upgrades in the box toppers from Double Masters. This uh this, this deck's nuts.
1: Like Chromatic Star. It's, it's no Astrolab, but at the same time, you're like, well, if I run Goyf and then splash a bunch of white into my Gruul deck, it could get there. And it, it totally does. I I super like it. And uh, yeah, good for good for there being a Stoneforge deck right now.
0: Yeah, this is cute because your Bloodbraids can do a bunch of weird things. <laughs> you can go Bloodbraid into a Sword of Feast and Famine or something.
1: Or bloodbraid into Clothis, or bloodbraid into Renin Six, or and then... Magus of the Moon. Yeah, this deck's nuts. Yeah, I was wondering when a seasoned Pyromancer deck was gonna, gonna pop, and like, like when I first started, like seriously looking at modern, um, there was like that red, white, black, young Pyromancer deck.
0: Oh, that uh, Jerry Thompson was championing for a while. The yeah. uh, Mardu tokens with Young Pyromancer. And Which was a P- lot
1: of fun. And then I was like, oh, Season Pyromancer goes right on that. And that deck just died around the same time.
0: So I'm glad something picked up Season Pyromancer because that card's really pushed. Yeah, there, there were meta considerations that pushed the Mardu version off the table and a, a series of bans later <laughs> and folks relying on complicated mana bases. This green nit red deck has been putting up pretty consistent results uh, all the way through the first half of this year. So this is a cute twist, this Naya version. Uh, there's also a black white creature combo deck here by user Cracker Pack that also went five and zero. Worth flagging as always that you know these league lists are fully curated, so a lot of these decks you know went five and zero once doesn't mean they're by any means taking up significant space in the meta. Anyway, this black white deck is something else as well. Four Kin Tree Spirit paired with Carry-On Feeder, Kitchen Finks, Putrid Goblin, and Safehold Elite. So you've got a bunch of creatures that will come back infinitely. This um, is a bunch with, of EDH garbage is what this is. <laughs> with Anafensa. Three Inquisition of Kozak, three Thoughtseize. Got some disruption. Three Path to Exile, some more disruption. Then four Altar of Dementia and two Blasting Station. <laughs> so you can set up the, if you get the Solemnity
1: down... You can set up the uh, the Blasting Station loop with uh, Save Hold Elite or future Goblin or something like that. Or, you right. know, I guess Kitchen Finks, right? So,
0: Yep. And so they've got Phyrexian Unlife and Solemnity. So Unlife says you don't lose the game for having zero or less life. As long as you have zero or less life, all damage is dealt to you as though Source had Infect, which means you get poison counters, but Solemnity says you can't get counters. So you're basically just invincible with the two of them on the board more or less this deck is hilarious yeah <laughs> it's got four silent clearings so by all means do do accelerate into the top eight for the rest of modern's existence so that more of these canopy lands will move um, i mean
1: edh will, will do it eventually
0: yep and, we, and they still owe us the other five right
1: yeah but who knows how long that'll take like how long was it between talismans
0: 10 years do you think we're getting Battle Bond lands in the, the the missing five in Commander Legends? I I'd put that at a fifty fifty. It's a pretty good spot for them, right? But we're also we're also trying to figure out where those where this mystery fetch land slot is, and they seem to be at least head faking that it's not in Zendikar Rising. So that means Commander Legends, right? If they're not in Zendikar Rising, then they
1: have to have another way to sell packs of that set. And I'm really fascinated to see what that is. I almost hope it's not Fetchlands just because I want the Zendikar set to be that good. I want there to be a gimmick because I love landfall crap in Commander. So, like, give me ten good cards and three new decks.
0: My prognostication was that that they would take a short list of... Good lands that were not going to be standard legal and put them as box toppers um, in Zendikar Rising, but it doesn't see they doesn't they haven't released any details that seem to support that notion. Well, that's basically could, the masterpieces, right? They could it's... they could show up. Well, masterpieces were like one every three boxes. Yeah. So box toppers is more aggressive, um, but they could also be you know relatively mellow. Like they could be non-foil, borderless, fresh art. And then, you know, they they add a lot of EV to the boxes, but it's not completely insane. It would be the kind of thing that would make a lot of sense if you were trying to bump box prices at the wholesale level by ten bucks, <laughs> and and you were gonna you wanted to try to in the same way that they pushed the limit on what they could charge for double masters, but doubled the rares and mythics, um, That's the kind of thing I would do if I was trying to sell more standard. But so far, we just don't know where that fetch slot is going to be. So I'm very curious to see where, where it ends up. Final deck we want to look at here in Modern is from Shorak123. This is another Saltai Snow deck, but it is uh, notable because it is running Wilderness Reclamation. Just got banned in a bunch of other formats. And here we have uh, a build that has three Wilderness Reclamation, two Search for Azkanta, and then 23 instants, including a nexus of fate. So you can play the same kind of game that people were playing in Pioneer, but just move it on over to Modern, where you have access to Cryptic Command, Archmage's Charm, Factor Fiction, and Force of Negation. So basic, yeah, And uh, and a nexus of
1: fate. So they basically carve way down on the Planeswalkers, through yep. the Three Wilder's recommendations and they're like, all right, I'm going to cast an instant main phase
0: and on your turn, I guess. Yeah, because you can you can do using one of your the modal blue spells to draw extra cards if you need to on your turn, and then give yourself something to do if you don't yet have something to do. You can Uro on your turn and then counter something on their turn. Uh, and you're right, the planes I've, other builds I've seen like this earlier in the year had four, six, eight planeswalkers, sulti planeswalkers, and this only has one Ashiok Nightmare Muse and one Jace the Mind Sculptor, with another Ashiok in the sideboard. So anyway, lots of interesting stuff available in Modern, and Modern was one of the only formats not hit uh, this week. Doesn't really look like it needs it. Um, looks reasonably healthy. So we'll move on over to segment two here, our top paper movers. The uh, Starting from the bottom of our list here, I wanted to flag uh, one that we caught in the Discord a short while ago. Uh, Elish Norn, Judge Promos, a card I seem to recall Travis potentially having bought near its peak at $500 or $600 or something. Um, later got its kind of secondary release out to the judges and became much more populous and it dropped pretty hard and stayed there for a while uh, in the 150, 175, 180, up to 200 range. I traded into a couple of them in the winter via CK buy list at around 200. And then just in the last couple months, it has started to hollow out pretty hard along with a bunch of other judge promos, reserve list cards, etc., As buy lists have struggled to uh, restock a lot of these rarer cards, and players and speculators have nibbled at the edges of the inventory. So at this point, there's very few copies left on TCG Player. They pretty quickly go from 200 to 400. You could arguably say that the current price is about 275, and that's a pretty big uh, return if you were in on these at its low. I got nothing to add other than it's really funny that Travis overpaid. Don't worry man, it's not a failure, it's a long term spec. I mean he's probably gonna get there, because I d I don't think he panic sold along the way or or re- you know flipped them at for a loss so he could reinvest. I'm pretty sure he still got him. Travis is the kind of guy who just like he was so traumatized by how
1: bad he got blown out, he just forgot about them, and he'll find them later when they're four fifty.
0: He has a he has a pretty epic spec box of long term slash failed specs, I'll tell you that much. There's lots of stuff that has gotten there for him just through inaction. Uh, Kali of the Vast, Double Masters. And this is one of three Double Masters cards on the list. May as well knock them all off at once. 16 to 24. So all we're really saying here is that there were some pre-orders that were very, very low when people assumed that anything reprinted in this set would get knocked down in the usual way.
1: Well, they also didn't
0: anticipate their stores getting allocated as heavily as they were. People got, like, half of their orders. Right. And the bottom line is that Wizards really tried to push the VIP packs through the pipeline, but the regular boxes' allocation was much more modest. So across the board, we see the great cards that are in this set kind of rebounding very quickly off of their absolute lows, and now we're heading into a weekend where the majority of the product's going to appear in the marketplace, and we're going to see them... Possibly retest back to these levels, but it's going to be tricky with these non foil versions, especially for some cards that have never had a non foil version before. And we'll talk about it tracks in a little while. Uh, so we've got Brea Ethereum Shaper here, also going from 450 to 1150. That's just, you know, a rebound on pre orders. Um, ditto Blasphemous, Blasphemous Act going 250 to 650. So somebody was buying copies at 250. Very impressive price for that card. And then. Uh, relatively modest week overall lots of cards that moved but most of them just moved you know ticking up on the back of draining inventory as opposed to there being some specific market impetus furnace of wrath jumped out at me though foils going from six to fifteen i'm assuming that people are playing this alongside uh fiery emancipation yeah
1: that's what it was yeah like uh and um muxus i think right i think uh decks like that oh plus the 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 red card from commander 2021 sabira i think the, the one that makes your creatures unblockable and lets you pitch your whole hand and then um, right, right, right. you need ways to get there if you're getting there with two power creatures. So like Fire Emancipation, um, uh, the Torbran, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, that yeah. all had some upside on the basis of that deck getting built a little bit more than I thought it was going to.
0: Fair We've got Power Leech here out of Antiquities, supposedly going from 9 to 25 I noticed Rudy talked this up on one of his uh, videos this week, uh, talking about how it was a $3 card. Uh, whenever he does something like that, take it with a huge grain of salt, and don't be surprised when people clean out a bunch of copies. Uh, I don't know
1: who they're trying to sell to, though. He,
0: he was making it sound like it was a big old school card. Uh, I think it sees modest demand there um and again nowhere easy to play old school right now except on webcam so i'd uh, there's no doubt Which in my no mind one that will the... do
1: they, if you're going to play old school mtg you have to do it on like an irc server or by mail or something like that <laughs> by
0: mail snow covered swamp at a secret layer series That was one of the releases from uh last winter going from 15 to 42 this is just a underprinted secret layer and we have seen this time and again The most popular secret layers are the ones that are hardest to make money on. The ones that nobody likes are up front are the ones that do best because the print run ends up being whatever their, well, sidestep. Wizards prints them in two stages. They print a certain amount that they expect to sell. And then if if they take orders beyond that, they go back to the presses and print the extra. Mm-hmm. So the the ones like this that didn't do so well up front tend to hollow out really fast because there just wasn't that much inventory in the market. You know, if they printed sixteen thousand or twenty thousand units by default and then only sold eight thousand, then that's you know that's going to contribute to a much faster drain. And we've seen it with uh, the cat decks. We've seen it with this one. We saw it with the uh, with multiple of the ones that were released last November. So, and and I suspect that if we ever get back around to releasing more secret layers, we'll see more of that going on. Uh, So just capping things off, same topic as last week. Tons and tons of foil seventh cards, like really bad ones, being targeted as people just up and decide, listen, foil seventh is never going down. If it's a dollar, I'll buy them in the hope that they'll get to four or five. And I'm looking to buy a list. It's a poor man's reserve
1: list is what it is, right? Sure.
0: And And it's just been such a steady narrative for so long that... It's a very lazy way to spec. You can just grab some 7th cards, put them away for a couple of years, go back and look at the buy list, and you're probably doing fine. All right, so moving along to the top movers on Magic Online, which tends to reflect pretty quickly what is going on in the meta, um, a lot more quickly than in paper. Smothering Tithe from uh, Ravnica Allegiance going from $1.74 to $2.47. I guess that's ticks, not dollars, uh, for a change of 0.73, which doesn't sound like a a lot, uh, because you know, trying to sell a dollar fifty card for three bucks is not where you want to be in paper. But on Magic Online, totally reasonable. Because if you bought twenty or thirty copies and you flipped them within a day or two, because you saw this coming, then you know you're up forty two percent minus time spent, which is not bad at all on there. This one dodged a reprint. Um, although I would question whether we might see it in Commander Legends. It should be safe for a few months here, which I is what I would attribute this gain to. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see it in Commander Legends. I, I don't really know anything about MTGO. Fabled Passage, uh, Modern Magic, uh, Core 21 reprinted from Throne of Eldraine to everybody's chagrin that owned extended art foils. Uh, going from $2 to just over 3, 57% gains or so. I'm going to attribute that one to re- just renewed Standard interest in general. Standard was looking really nasty, they did a bunch of bannings. Fabled Passage jumps up in response because you just need to buy some Fabled Passages to play the format, um, as opposed to it being related to any specific deck. Well, you don't it's... have Gross Spiral anymore, so... Yep. Spawn of Mayhem out of uh, Ravnica Allegiance going from fifty five to 3 135% gains on the back of Mono Black in Pioneer and Standard, having more room to breathe with all of the decks that got banned out of existence. Ditto for Embercleave out of Eldrain two dollars to five dollars three dollar gain for uh 144 percent gains again standard aggro is just better off with fresh bannings and Embercleave's actually in the format for another year and a bit so it's the most unfair card still legal and standard and, and a completely reasonable edh card as well right
1: yeah i mean people play godsend in edh so there's no reason not to play Embercleave. the card's nuts Sure. Um, I like quite a spike a little bit better in that role, but like if you're red, you can play both, so you probably do.
0: Right, Cavalier of Thorns, uh, going from a dollar twelve to three twenty-seven. That's hundred ninety-one percent gains. If you saw that coming, Saltite Ramp, poised for success with Ugin, would be my my guess on what's going on there. Um, Ugin, of course, reprinted in Core Twenty-One, and <laughs> it's not like the card got any worse over time. And then finally, capping things off here, we have Niv-Mizzet Reborn out of the War of the Spark. The five-color Niv-Mizzet decks in both Pioneer and Modern have done reasonably good work getting into top eights, even in the midst of all the brokenness that's gone on in both formats this year. And now that we have all these bannings in Pioneer, Niv-Mizzet five-color is just that much better positioned to consistently top eight, and I would attribute those uh, pretty major gains to uh, that situation.
1: And again, that's not a terrible... EDH card, but I think uh, competitive EDH likes it a little bit more. There's Mm -hmm. always like a food chain deck, and that may or may not be the food chain deck right now.
0: Gotcha. Alright, we can move on to paper cards to watch. Um, Cards that Jason and I think are worth flagging for potential gains in the mid to long term for the most part. A lot of focus here on what should we be snagging early and often from double masters. Um, I'll table one a car. We just did a huge group buy. Um, I think it ended up being almost $30,000 worth of cards sold in 24 hours um, from the Pro Traders. And it was all double Masters cards. And one of the ones that jumped out at me that I put, I think, 8 or 10 copies in in my order was Atraxa Praetor's Voice. Um, of course, the main deck that I play in Commander. And one of the top three Commanders of all time, according to EDH rec stats. Only for the last two years. Sure. But yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, Atraxa has never had a non-foil printing until Double Masters gives us the regular printing and the box topper non-foil. Now, the box topper non-foil you can only get as a box topper for the regular booster boxes, which are in relatively short supply. Not quite a jump start type situation, but the boxes are pricey, and I suspect that any further waves of them will be relatively modest, though I would expect the product to be in the market. For most of the next year, in much the same way as Modern Horizons was. Um, but Atrax's TCG low near mint right now is something like $24 or $25. And uh, whether or not you are getting them through one of our group buys this week or you're just shopping for them in Europe, you can get them in the 10 to $12 range right now on Magic Card Market. And that just seems scandalous to me. I, I don't see how folks that want the non-foil option aren't going to gravitate to the cheapest non-foil copy and the only copy that's ever been printed, especially when the box topper non-foil is probably going to end up in the f- anywhere from $30 to $60 range. But who is building a brand new Atraxa deck in Year of Our Lord 2020?
1: That said, if you go to EDATrek.com, I'm just going to show real hard for a website now. Let's do it. So there are drop-down menus at the top. You go to Commanders brings up a drop down Go top commanders. It'll tell you the top 21 commanders of the past week. And if you look um, in the last week, Atraxa is actually number six yeah, of the most built them. decks in the past week, just because I don't know, maybe jumpstart and Corsa aren't really grabbing people. It's been, it's been really, it's been really weird because I've been watching it and it seems like Kenrith, Golos and Sese are the top three on the basis of people building the Shrines decks. And then nobody else is really doing that much. Because it's been very hard to get Jumpstart. There are really good Jumpstart. Like Emil the uh, unicorn's really good. And he has the Genie that swaps stuff. Although difficult to play on webcam is really good. Um, There are good Core Set 2021 Commanders. But everyone is just sort of... I don't know. Buying the cheap Shrines... And building those Shrines decks. So for like the the past couple of weeks, it's been Kenrith, Golos, and Sese have been 1, 2, and 3 on EDH rec. So what people are doing is updating their old decks. So instead of building a brand new Atraxa deck, what I think people are doing is they're going through and they're adding that Teferi Master of Time. Because you can activate that on everybody's turn. And why <laughs> yeah. wouldn't you want that in a uh, proliferate deck? And people are taking a look at the thriving cards. As much as I don't really like those thriving lands, they're like bad guild gates to me. Um, people are they're adding them to their Atraxa deck. So I think people are updating their list just on the basis of of that. And I think it'll make Atraxa look like it's more popular, a new commander, when really it's not people building new decks, but people say, wow, Traxa's top six on EDH rec this week? All right. And it it could be just people finally getting to pay $1.50 for a Deep Glow Skate instead of $15. So they're like, well, I'll I'll update my list on Architect." Ediatrix scrapes it, and we're like, wow, a lot of people went through and put that new Teferi and the Deep Glow Skate and the the doubling season, I guess, they got for cheaper. And uh, when people update their list, it makes commanders that are being refreshed look more popular than they are, which it's a flaw. But only if it's only if you're relying on that to accurately tell you what people are building new, which I don't. No EDH rec user cares about that. It's just us. So you just have to be cognizant when you go to EDH rec. You have to understand that when people update their lists on a site like Architect, it will generate a new hit for us, and that'll overrepresent the stuff that's being tinkered with the most. And Trax is one of those decks where like. It's hard to print a whole set with a, without making any cards in a deck like that relevant. So when you get a new Ridiculous Planeswalker,
0: it matters again. Yeah, it's got so much broad synergy that it's just going to keep getting built. The, I mean, it's worth pointing out, though, that, you know, if we want to explore this topic a little bit more deeply, Atraxa's price from December of 2019 until right up before Double Masters more than doubled. So it was down near 25 and it got up over 50 before the reprint and now it's you know down in the mid 20s. That suggests that people were indeed buying the card to build the deck because it doesn't get played in any other format. It's not like a huge contender for cube. You don't see it in legacy or vintage. So it's really a EDH only card. Well for a while there is like well
1: you could aff- instead of paying $30 for Atraxa, why don't you just pay the money for the, the commander anthologies? Sure. or why don't you just buy the deck? But when the deck's 125 bucks on eBay, it's like, well, it's it's not that cheap anymore cuz like the rest of the deck is is getting like Deep Color Skate getting reprinted going from 15 to 5 means like, well, that's 10 bucks now that you just light on fire buying the deck for the one Atraxa. At so it made the single when the when the the other singles in the product that Atraxa was also in went down, it made the single Atraxa look more um, look more attractive, and, th- and that's what happened. It, it suddenly stopped being efficient to buy the whole deck and be like, well, I got a $30 Atraxa for free because there's $100 of
0: singles in this $100 deck now. Sure. I mean that, that all makes sense. I mean it doesn't change the fact that I sold fourteen it looks like my records say I sold fourteen copies of the foil <laughs> in the last six months. Yeah, the... that totally makes sense. It's 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 a
1: deck and you can't go to EDH Rec and look at like the, the most popular commanders without seeing it in the top five. So 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 what do you think about eleven or twelve dollar copies? You think that's a lot? Um I mean, it's hard to say. I'm like, who's still building a tracks in 2020? But like, if they're selling, that somebody is. Um, 10's probably not bad because this didn't get a rarity downshift. Nope. And it's a product that was allocated. So, what happens when a product is allocated is the initial impact of the prices lowering is way attenuated because you're not getting a huge race to the bottom because there's like half as much product. So, when the second wave gets added later, it's not a huge impact either because basically the prices feel established. So instead of like taking a $40 card, smashing it down to like six, and then it climbs its way back up, you got a $40 card that gets smashed to maybe 25 and then a whole new wave of $25 copies hits. So I think um, if this did get that cheap, that's probably fine because it's, it's not like all of the supply is in competition. And I think all the card... Copies that get added later will get added at 10 versus it tailing down to like four or whatever. So, I think if you want an Atraxa to build with, you're not going to be too upset in six months if you paid 10
0: bucks. Yeah. I mean, it's also worth noting that the foil box toppers, even though they are more populous than the non foil box toppers at present, uh, lowest price for a foil on TCG heading into Wednesday is $69. So, if you've got a choice, if you're trying to build a Traxa and you got a choice between a twenty-dollar copy or a seventy-dollar copy. There's really no competition. You're, you know, I, either you have the money to get the best version or you don't. And if you don't, you're going to settle for the non-foil version.
1: Which you're going to get freed up now. That's like another thing that happens if someone that just had the regular like deck foil Traxxet has the option to pay sixty-nine dollars, nice, for one of the
0: new foils that they sell the old one usually. Sure. So I see here that your first pick of the week has a confidence level of 19. So that's well, it was supposed to be a 10 out of 10, oh. Oh, but okay. like a 19 out of 10
1: actually is not that far off.
0: OK, so this this is our first night. This is our first 19. Somebody's going to call you to task on this later. So let's hear the breakdown. Um, this card
1: is called Exploration and it's half what it used to be in price. And here's the thing about exploration it gets printed every like three, four years. It does not get printed every one to two years. So even if we only have two more years to make money on exploration, there was a two year period where exploration like tripled. So we have a Lands Matter set probably coming up very soon. We have an exploration that's going to be like at the most supply it's been in in a couple of years. It's going to be a lot of loose copies and all the competitive players are going to be tra- tracking down all the stuff they need for their competitive formats and like the EDH stuff is going to be left to fend for itself like it always is. Exploration is a card. You will probably be able to get it for $15 or lower and I can't imagine it's not 25 plus in 2 years especially with all the help it's likely to get. I'm speculating, but it's a Zendikar set. If there's not specifically landfall it will probably be lands matters. And um I wrote a whole article about, hey, here's what I think goes in the <laughs> the white Omnath deck. A deck built around a card they haven't spoiled yet. I think it's going to be that much of a lands matters in Zendikar that, like, I can safely say buy Admonition Angel. So, if I can say buy Admonition Angel with, like, a 7 or an 8 confidence, I feel like a 19 about Exploration. This is a card that we've all made money on before same thing with burgeoning it's just one of those cards it's like it's one of the best turn one plays in green so there there are times i'd rather have an expiration than a soul ring on turn one so this if this gets to half what it was you just make up half of the old value of the card when it goes right back to that price
0: yeah i mean over in europe you can get copies in the 11 to 12 dollar range it looks like um even better than your call and to put it in perspective it's not like this card has been printed very often prior to double masters giving us the box toppers and the regular versions you only had two printings conspiracy which was what six years ago and way under open too yeah and urza's saga which was literally a generation ago 20 plus years so you're right like this has hardly ever been printed it may well be safe for a while and the price gap between the box toppers and these $16 copies is massive. You have, uh, you know, 50, 60, 70 dollar versions of the box toppers out there in the market. The conspiracy copies are were priced at about 35 heading into the double masters release, and the saga copies are at about 50 bucks. So if you can get these copies somewhere between Jason's fifteen and Europe's ten or eleven, I think you're doing just fine. Give it, give it a year, give it two, and uh, whether you're buy listing or flipping uh, singles, you're probably going to be in real solid shape. Yeah, if you go to, to EDH Rec again,
1: um, different drop down this time. Go to sets, go to double masters. It lists all the all the cards. And um, it ranks them by percentage of decks and not raw number of decks, but you can still see the raw number of decks. So like 40% of decks that contain blue run Cyclonic Rift, you know. So if you look at something like Exploration, 7% of decks that run green, and almost every EDH deck runs green, is, is running Exploration. It's in 15,000 decks. It's in, you know, just... It's a, in about as many decks as doubling season, you know. It's, it's the green land tax. It's just one of those cards that just... It's in it's in so many decks. And it'll probably be in a greater percentage of decks moving forward on the basis of lands mattering. Extra land drops mattering if we have a landfall or some other playing lands matters mechanic
0: in the next set. And, and we know we're getting two commander decks with Zendikar Rising. One of them will almost certainly be a lands-focused... Uh, Landfall or whatever deck. We know that's all reprints except for the three Commanders that are included. But they they also said that the decks aren't that good. They're not going to be... It's not going to be
1: like a regular Commander deck. It's going to be more of a beginner product. So, the odds that Explorations
0: in that deck seem pretty low to me. Right. And it's... And there's only three new cards, as I said, so... The combination of new cards in Zendikar Rising that could turn people back onto Gitrog or Lord Windgrace or... Um, uh, Azusa or Omnath, various versions of Omnath or whatever, plus these three new ones seems to me like lots of people are going to be reaching for a copy of this card. Alright, uh, I think that's a real solid pick. Um, my next one is, if the first one was Caveat, Source Them in Europe, the second one is Caveat, Source Them in Japan, talking about the Showcase triumphs from Ikoria, mostly the uh the ones that don't include white (laughs) the the ones that include uh green uh seem to be where you want to be based on the combination of edh and competitive play but you can't go wrong with any of them really over in japan i've been picking these up in bundles one after the other uh, at about five or six bucks whether they're english copies or japanese copies doesn't matter much to me although i think the japanese ones will carry a bit of a premium down the road just because of scarcity in north america um, they're getting played all over the place. Everybody that lays hands on them comments on how great that art looks. And in foil, if you when, if you can pick up copies overseas in the 20 to $25 range, I think those foils are going to be $50 plus down the road. They're showing plenty of activity on EDH rec being added to decks, and they're showing up in smatterings in both Pioneer and Modern. So uh, between that cube and casual play, I think there's every reason to believe that these Triumphs could go $5 to 12 to 15 dollars over the course of a better year i agree with that <laughs> i mean the, these kind of calls are cheat calls in the sense that i mean these tribes basically already are 10 dollars in north america so sure. to say that they're going to go to 12 is not a stretch the the key here is that making sure you've got a a, a plan game plan for europe and a game plan for japan will greatly increase the value of your collection and and or decrease the cost of playing the game.
1: And and I think that's something you could get set up on your own if you wanted to take the time to figure that out. But I think that's a benefit of being a pro trader is just like
0: we have the hookup in the Discord. Yep. And I mean, one of the things to note, though, is that you don't necessarily need to be a pro trader for this one because all you got to wait for is for Japan to start shipping back to the US. (laughs) Because currently that is shut off. So you do, you know, having a pro trader account so you can get somebody to bounce ship you some of these is it's sweet but in regular times you can just go into haruya and order and they'll ship they'll ship overseas so will tokyo mtg um and there are a few other uh really great smaller sites in japan that if you can find a bounce shipping partner will ship domestically and then you can build up a little stash and then have them sent over to you um Triumph's just one of many You know, great deals I've scooped in Japan lately. Picked up some foil 7th Japanese. Picked up some foil Modern Horizon stuff. I think I flipped a foil Japanese Echo of Eons for 85 or something today that I picked up for 48 in Japan like a month ago. Um, So there's all sorts of stuff like that lying around in Japan because nobody plays commander in Japan. So when when sets come out and they have great commander cards... Even if they're really sweet foils, they tend to just sit around, not get sold, price gets knocked down, knocked down, and they only really sell out when somebody scoops them from overseas, usually a vendor. So you just want to be ahead of the vendors on that tip, and you're going to be in good shape. All right, tell me about your second pick. This is a bit of a more of a budget pick. I I, I tried to do
1: like a penny stock type pick and then like a, you know, a higher value pick. I think Conjurer's Closet is going to go to, like, bulkish range on the basis of being reprinted again. Now, Closet's a card that does not get printed every year. I think the last time it was printed was in the... The, uh... What was the Bird Wizard? The Flashy Bird... Dare Red? No, not Dare The Bird Thing. The Bird, the Bird, the Flying Bird, the Bird Guy, the Bird, the... (laughs)
0: <laughs> we we got it in the commander card. it was one of the anthology decks because it was in commander anthology and yeah. before that commander 2013 so devry devry i was like the deck with rune in it whatever that was the last time this card was printed this
1: card's nuts um conjurer's closet just does a ton of work in edh and if it gets like a t- like around a buck or cheaper it's just a slam dunk um i put five as my cell target because It's flirted with that price before. I don't know if it gets there in two years, but luckily we don't have to get out in two years because I really think it's safer from reprint from a longer term than that, especially if it hits bulk because it's going to be one of those cards that just people are like, oh, great, another worthless rare in this deck, and they just throw it in a box, and then they bulk it out, and then you just buy it as a bulk rare, sit on it for a while, and then everyone's like, wait, when did that have 450? What's going on? It's just one of those cards that just does so much work, and um, it hasn't been printed often enough. There's there's two kinds of reprintings, I feel like that hurt a card's value. There's the every two years, and then there's the two times in one year, right? So the every two years is sort of like, well, this is cyclical. This is it's Swiftfoot Boots. Swiftfoot Boots is printed every two years. You you can kind of predict that, but then you get something where they're like. We are going to put black market in every product, and just black market could have shrugged off a reprint every two years, but just can't shrug off two reprints in a calendar year, and that's what just happened to Champion of Lamholt, which is a card I really liked when it was in the uh, the mystery boosters, and they're like, no, just kidding, mystery booster, jump start, and uh, double masters now. So, I mean, it's if you're Playing Double Masters Limited, I guess, you want the Champion of hold for your doubling season deck or whatever. But it's just it seems silly to print it that many times. Um, I They've never really taken a card that gets printed every like three, four years and then printed it twice in one year. I've, I don't think I can think of a single example of that. So that makes me think Conjurer's Closet will be safe long enough for it to flirt with five bucks
0: again. So. I, mean, I mean, we are heading into a period of, ve- or we're existing in 2020 in a period of very heavy reprint schedules, but that doesn't mean they can print everything all the time. Um, even at the pace this year, most stuff is still only seeing a single reprint, not a double, uh, you know, Fabled Passage, etc. notwithstanding. And there were quite a few more overlaps in Double Masters versus Mystery Boosters, for instance, uh, than people were expecting. But it's important to remember that everything in double masters was effectively a mythic and because of the way the slots were formulated. And the double rares and mythics in the packs of double masters is mitigated by the fact that they also greatly increased the set size. And as we have already talked about, the allocations, at least so far, for the regular booster boxes have not been tremendous. So when we're looking at something like Conjurer's Closet, we know that it has had only four printings total, and two of them were, you know, relatively modest, Avison Restored and Commander Anthology, and then Commander 2013 was probably the biggest printing leading into Double Masters. And if we're, you know, you're looking at the card at what price point? like a buck. Jason's like. thinking it's going to hit a buck. That's probably true. I mean, we had it on the group buy today at a dollar 58 and Europe's probably even a bit lower now. And the TCG prices are at about 2 bucks, but contrast that to the three previous printings that are 6, 7 and 8 market price respectively. So those are what they were coming into this this reprinting. This could be one of those good buy list bricks if it gets down to jason anywhere near jason's and en- predicted entry point this weekend you know somebody posts 30 copies at a buck 25 or something i think you can pull the trigger on those and be pretty solid to buy list them in the two to three dollar range minimum within 18 months cool good pick um all right so move on to my last pick uh, along a singular a similar vein and to be clear we were talking about non-foils there right for you yeah, I don't. I don't tend to love EDH foils, as anybody who's read my articles is well aware. And oddly enough, I didn't pick any foils this week, which is almost never happens. Um, so we had five non foils. That's got to be a record. Um, Blasphemous Act, uh, Double Masters, going to get down to could be as low as three to three fifty this week. It showed up in theory on the fast movers up above, going up to six. But there's already been copies listed in the 3 to $5 range on TCG since those stats were booked. Um, and I think that that is a relevant entry point, because as with Conjurer's Closet, the other versions of Blasphemous Act ha- are... you uh, know, there's not that many versions. Previous to Double Masters, we just had the original printing in... Innistrad, Innistrad, and then, it and then showed what, up two Commander deck printings? Three, but every two years, oh. as you said. So Commander yeah. 2014, 2016, 2018, and the Commander Anthology volume. So never out of booster packs except in Innistrad and Double Masters. And it's in 43,000 decks on EDH rec in the last two years. It's in 22% of all red decks, which is, as Jason likes to say, the more relevant of the two stats. And it's been a in, relatively infrequent reprint I would think you'd be looking to buy a list near the current buy list support for the other copies, which hovers in the five to six dollar range. So if you can get anything between three and four, if you can buy a list out a brick at plus fifty percent, I mean, that's gravy. It seems super doable
1: to me. Uh, I have a bonus pick if you don't mind before we go on to the next one. Go for it. Um, on the basis of Growth Spiral being banned and being that good in EDH. Plus, I'm thinking the Omnath deck is going to matter moving forward. Potentially some other stuff. I think um, the FNM foil growth spiral um, is probably going to come down from where it is right now. As people are just like, well, wow, can't play this anymore. Um, I really like that uh, FNM promo growth spiral moving forward.
0: They are gorgeous. And I have I actually bought a bunch of Russians, and I've sold them at a pretty brisk pace this year. Um it's uh, Seb McKinnon art <laughs> yep it has lovely blue green foiling accents um, one of the better fm promos really of all time as far as I'm concerned yeah like and... half
1: the text box is green and it like shifts into a blue and it look, it looks really good foil and um, if those go down from like I don't hate them at 350 but you know with a banning that it probably gives you a chance to buy
0: an even cheaper so would you be looking to get it at like say 250 or something?
1: If you can, um, yeah, two fifty is uh, it's, it's pretty good. I, I wouldn't hate paying
0: three, but if you can get them for two two fifty, then uh, do not hesitate. I like it, and I think you know. I would add, from my angle, selling a lot of the premium uh, foils for EDH these days. Really, what's kept my sales alive and thriving um, during COVID? I would say, take a look at some of those foreign printings that can get shipped to you overseas on eBay. Um, because you know they may be looking to unload, giving the banning, and you know Japanese or Russian copies for a card that's really that's iconic enough that it's easy to memorize and doesn't have a te- enough text to confuse anybody is really the only time I want to be trying to sell foreign into an EDH crowd.
1: And really, EDH is the only paper I wouldn't be buying right now, anyway.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally on board with that. So, final pick of the week is a uh, a pick I, I'm willing to bet we can both get behind. Um, given that it is the number one <laughs> reported green card of all time, uh, at least in the last two years on EDH Rec. Talking about the Cultivate Showcase foils from Core 21, they mostly showed up in collector booster packs, which were opened uh, at a fair clip, but I would imagine that the you know the cliff for openings of Core 21 is pretty steep, um, as it has been for most sets since COVID set in. It was uh, ProTrader member Philum, a relatively new member, that called this one out, and we actually had a quite a few good options from the members this week, but I flagged this one because it's just such an obvious winner. 50% of all green decks run Cultivate. It's in 100,000 reported decks on EDH Rec. As I said, number one all-time green card. It's currently about 6 bucks on TCG uh, player, four fifty or so in, in Europe, and I would imagine that you know, Phil, I'm saying that this is going to go to 12 or 15 in, say, 12 to 18 months. Seems right on target to me. Um, these foils look tremendous yeah. in person. So there's something called the...
1: We call it the precon effect at ADH Rec, where, like... People build a commander deck from zero cards to 100. But if they buy a precon, they start at 100, cut down everything they think doesn't go in the deck, and then build back up from there. So if a card is good enough not to take out, it'll make the deck. Um, and if you have a copy, you don't have to go looking through your collection for your copy because it came in the deck you just opened. You register that in the deck. You don't go find a Kadama's Reach. You play that Cultivate because it was in the pre-con. So the good thing about those cards, uh, the one good thing I would say about cards like that that like are super reprintable and they are overrepresented on EDH Trek because of the pre-con effect, the, the one good thing I can say about that is anytime they come up with a unique promo for it, that card is going to be nuts. Be, just because like there is no way other other than to buy those copies um, to have a premium version in your deck, because there aren't too many ways to get foil cultivate versus everyone has the non-foil copies that they busted in the pre-con that they built the deck out of. So cards that are overrepresented and, um, seem more popular than they are not that cultivate isn't the number one card but it just it seems even more popular than it is sure. so when you have something that has like a unique promo like that i think it's a slam dunk this is a a, a fantastic pick
0: yeah and you, you raise good points uh, about the overrepresentation from being constantly included in decks that people are are starting with as their foundational elements because this thing has been printed literally everywhere 17 printings of this card Chase Anthology, Commander 2013, Nicol Bolas Arch Enemy, Commander 2018, Plane Chase 2012, Commander 2016, Anthology 2017, 2019, Magic 2011, Masters 25, Mystery Booster,
1: <laughs> everywhere. And it only exists because they couldn't put an arcane spell on M10 or whatever.
0: Sure. And yet, as you said, unique art is what it's all about, because many of those printings were using the exact same art, non-foil. So there's only two premium printing so far. There's the FNM promo, which is currently sitting at a market price of $17. And we have the clearly superior Core 21 Showcase Borderless with fantastic art in foil that is currently available for five or six bucks. I mean, I love the non-foils
1: too because I don't like foils on my ADH deck, but I would like a different sort of art. And that's why I think Alteration really took off for a while. You know, because it's like, well, you don't have a the only thing you can do to a command tower for the first three years command tower was around was pay somebody to alter it. That was all you could do. So on something like that, if you don't want to foil, your choices are to get these non foil promos. So I know the call was the foil, but I actually do not hate
0: the non foil also. And there's actually some support for that if you look at the CK buy list because Card Kingdom, for instance, is not buying any foils currently, but is offering some money on the non foils, which suggests that they, you know, maybe they pick up a package of the foils in Europe or something, and they don't need any for now, um, but they will later.
1: I think Card Kingdom knows how much how much they sell and they know to whom and how much foil they sell. I don't I don't want to give away too much info that I shouldn't be giving to the public. I will say that the number of cards sold from referral links on EDH Rec, there are more cards sold, or more referral sales from Card Kingdom than TCG Player.
0: And that, that might be surprising to a lot of people. Fair. Interesting info. So, yeah, I mean, I think both versions here are completely reasonable picks. You can get the non foils for just under three bucks, and in Europe, they're even cheaper. Um, yeah, I. Fantastic art, mega staple, can't go wrong. All right, so let's wrap up this week with a little bit of more in-depth discussion about matters uh, pertaining to double masters. I guess one of the interesting trends that was noted uh, across social media this week was that in North America, at least, it seemed like the, a significant number of vendors went pretty deep on the uh, foil VIP packs pre-ordering and then set themselves up to pre-order them while the prices were high. We saw Michael Caffrey over at tales of adventure crack like 2000 boxes or something. Um, and was, you know, posting interesting graphs of the distribution of EV across them. It was established during the week that the slots are not entirely random in the VIP packs. It looks like the first box topper slot is always a rare. So three, um, uh, you have a 100% chance of getting rare in that slot. And then in the second slot, you have a 67% chance of pulling a mythic. It also seems on that basis that there are probably not one but two print sheets, although I'm very curious to see whether that's true once you know a sheet materializes on Facebook or whatever. The There's got to be a sheet with all meddling mages out there then, if that's the case. Yeah, because it seems like in a lot of openings you saw the meddling mage Stoneforge mystic combo come out of the the packs and it would seem that the coalition off of sheets is generating specific pairs like they're taking slot 37 from sheet one and slot 37 from sheet two and because of the way the sheets are arranged that always ends up being stoneforge mystic with meddling mage and it's not a hundred percent pairings but it seemed it did not seem random to me when I was watching various box openings. And we're going to get some mass cracking data uh, later this week from some of our partners in Europe, and then we'll be able to talk about it next week and get a better sense of of uh, whether or not there was a rare, as predicted, that shows up more often. It's been predicted by some other people that the 121st slot is a blank card. Um, we had suggested that maybe it was a rare that had uh, one extra one extra slot on the sheet. So very curious to see how that all uh, turns out. But the end result of all of this is that over in Europe, they seem to have cracked uh, less VIPs because VIPs were more expensive wholesale to retail there than they were in the US by I think about 10, just under $10. And, and so they, they t- seem to have leaned more towards opening the regular boxes. And as a result, the first uh, group buy that we ran yesterday, the big one, um, had no foil box toppers involved at all. Now we are doing one of those later this week, but the, you know, the Europeans uh, didn't have the kind of inventory that the US is currently representing on, on the foil box toppers. So that kind of situation is very likely to kick off some arbitrage because it means that the foils will be rarer. Uh, foil box toppers are going to be rarer in Europe. And therefore, probably will float above the prices, the the floor prices we're going to see this weekend as uh, the race to the bottom starts on TCG Player. And the thing about these VIP packs is that, you know, if your in was seventy five to eighty five, then you have to get reasonably lucky to make it worthwhile to be cracking these packs and trying to flip, because the average of these box toppers is needs to be something like 40 to 45 and stay pretty steady there. And you need to be able to get that after fees, after your 15% fees or else cracking wasn't really that reasonable. So I think there's going to be a lot of people that crack these and don't open that well and then dump their, the cards they do open onto the market. And we should see a pretty good race to the bottom this weekend. I expect there to be some pretty great deals. Um, conversely, the non-foil box toppers do not seem well priced in North America right now. Um, we got some pretty solid deals um, out of Europe, and it wasn't even the lowest possible price out of Europe. It was just a good, a really good price versus what we were seeing on TCGPlayer. Um, you know, for stuff like exploration box toppers. You know, you were talking about exploration. Obviously, it got the box topper treatment as well, and I think the exploration box topper borderless was uh looks like the foils are $44 and the non-foils are 77 so we have this really weird dichotomy setting up in the U.S. on the box toppers where because of how much how many more copies there are of the foils through the mass opening of VIP packs they are in many cases settling in below the regular copies so you've got exploration borderless market price 77 bucks and lowest posted price being 57 right now and we were picking those up in the group I at let's just see $32 so pretty good discounts for the pro traders this week on the box toppers just by working that arbitrage angle um, I super don't hate a box topper exploration at like old retail. <laughs> exactly. Cuz and the other thing is that not all the box topper art is is really stunning, but the exploration sure is. Big huge lotus looking plant unfolding and with a really nicely painted light effect. Um looks great in foil too. Uh pretty much all the versions of exploration are likely to be winners <laughs> down the road. But Yeah. So this has been a very interesting release. And I'm curious to see, given that Zendikar Rising previews start in, what, six weeks? And then we have Commander Legends, another... I think that's the longest we've gone without a preview season since COVID hit. (laughs) Yeah. And then six weeks after that, we're going to have Commander Legends, both of which are going to be major releases. Two sets of Commander decks, four total between those two sets. Um, And who knows if we're getting extra secret layers in the fall. Uh, We still have the green commander set with what, eight cards? God, I hope they they just say, we're sorry, we're not going to do that. (laughs) Something tells me that won't be what they choose to do.
1: But I just, I I wonder what's in it because everything that like I've kind of thought needed a reprint got one. So it's like, is it going to be another Oracle
0: Moldiah? Like what's, I don't know. It, it looks like Chord of Calling was probably in there, right? Because we saw advanced art with Yisan literally playing a chord on a harp with a bunch of creatures around him. Yeah. So that's probably so one I'm, of I'm them. Probably,
1: look look, man, if we get if we get a new a new cultivate or a new Kadama's Reach and a new explore. You know, it's just the the crap that goes in every green deck, I like super don't hate that, especially because you can have four or five of those cards in a deck and have them all match. Like I think that's going to appeal to people. It'll certainly sell better than like the Gideon spellbook or whatever, right? Oh so. yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's just if it's one of those things where just like <laughs> you're going to GameStop on Bogo day and just picking up an armload of them, <laughs> like I don't mind that product
0: being out in the wild for sure. Sure. Yeah, I mean, one of the other things I was talking to people about in the Discord today about Double Masters is that With all of the hullabaloo around the box toppers, I think that people are missing that this set has a very expansive mythic list. I think it's 40 mythics instead of 15, if I'm not mistaken. And the ones that didn't get a box topper treatment and haven't gotten a bunch of other reprints are very primarily positioned. So I called out Atraxa today, but you could just as easily have said, hey, what about Brea? Brea's never had a non-foil printing either. And if you can get if Bray becomes a forgotten card and in the mix of what's going on here, you know, they could get real cheap too for no good reason and then just become a pick. And that's true of a whole bunch of really strong. triplets is the one I would target out of that list. Sure. I mean, that was a foil in mystery boosters in the, in the foil slot, but didn't get a non-foil printing there. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. So it gets more foils here. So that hurts the foils that people picked up as specs out of the mystery boosters, but it's the first Which was a good version. idea at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the non foils are not challenged because this is the first version we've seen in ages. So, you know, that's a great great example. And I would also think like things like Skithrix, Darksteel Forge, uh, mana echoes. I picked up land taxes in the group by today at fourteen bucks.
1: Well there's either new art or new borders. This is the first time we've seen Arkham Dagson with the the uh the historic border. Sure. Same thing with Skitherex and Godo Bandit Warlord, you know. Even bulk rares like Bosh, it's what the f- no, that's not the first time in the historic border Bosh was in the commander deck and had that border. But like, and some of the artists knew
0: too. Yeah, you, you mentioned send Triplets. I would also point out Scarab God. Uh, yes. Yeah. Scarab God shouldn't be as low as it is. I think I picked up Scarab God, uh, Mythics at. It was like mid-teens or something. That seems like a very solid place for that card because that's not the kind of thing I see them going ahead and throwing into Commander Legends as well. Like Scarab God could go three or four years now without a reprint.
1: There are just so many $4 cards too that you're going to like buy a booster pack and be like, wow, my rare is a $4 card. That sucks. And then Council's Judgment seven bucks in a year. You know, you just never know.
0: Yeah. There's like
1: a... how Basilisk Color is going to rebound
0: from this. I got a question for you. What do you think the foil price of... The first foil printing of Basalt Monolith is going to end up at in a year? Is this the first foil? Yep. Great. Googly moogly. First foil ever. But printed at an uncommon in a set where foils are at a very high drop rate. So it's weird. Well, what's it at right now? Currently... Yeah, because this thing was printed like alpha beta revised and then a bunch of commander decks so it never got a foil it like um, 10 11 bucks yeah Kinnon came out and
1: everyone was like oh it's infinite mana with Kinnon but like no one built that deck so it was just one of those things where people went nuts and like every basil monolith is like 250 for a while and then all of a sudden they're like 10 bucks or something like that you know just because people went nuts and scooped them all up um there's no way that $10 is too much for this foil, right? If you can get them for 10 bucks right now, there's
0: no way that you're going to be upset that you paid 10 bucks later. I think Brian Armad uh, in the Discord flagged Arcane Denial foils that were the first time printed in M25, I believe.
1: That was a call I made in an article, and I was still waiting to be right about that.
0: Sure. So those are, he, he flagged it because in the context of discussing Monolith, the Arcane Denial foils are only 3 Um a couple years after M25 came out. So yeah. my, I, I would wait on ba- Monolith, see how low they get this weekend. If I see $6 copies, I'll probably start to grab some, and then see how cheap they get in Europe. Because yeah. this first Group I, we we were offered them at 8 which seemed fine. A couple bucks off versus North America, but Probably not as low as Europe will take them, given that Europe doesn't really have a play pattern to support them. That it also means that there are foiled Japanese basalt monoliths out there, and in fact, one of our pro traders posted a picture where his bounce shipping partner in Japan opened their first Japanese VIP pack today, and it was foil box topper Japanese Dotsies, and Force of Will. <laughs> Oof. With foil Japanese basalt monolith, that was the pack. <laughs> I said that's gonna be a tough one to beat because that was that's, probably that's probably four hundred dollars worth of value in a hundred dollar pack, so not bad at all. But I would think like Europe and Japan, these are gonna get real, real cheap and be awesome pickups.
1: Yeah, like if you're buying to play with, I don't hate ten bucks, like I said, but like I forget that. <laughs> I'm not a brainstorm brewer. I'm not telling people what to buy to play with. If you're buying to like, if you're out is going to be a buy list on these, I bet you could. I bet you could do better than eight bucks for sure. Because the best version up till now was like FBB, right, or something like. I mean, like beta, obviously, but like realistically, you were going to put in an EDH deck was like FBB, which looked really good.
0: I yeah, like so, how dark they are yeah so foils in Europe are down to four four dollars and well four euro and forty nine so about six that's for us. six seven bucks yeah yeah that's pretty tasty so
1: well we're also six months away from the dollar entirely collapsing so that's gonna really affect prices I think too when uh foil magic cards are being exchanged for a
0: gallon of clean water <laughs> yeah 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 all right so I mean, Pretty interesting uh, times around double masters. Uh, Definitely a weekend where people are going to want to be checking in with TCG to see if there's some deals to be scooped for decks for collections and potentially be doing some specking. Um, Anything else you want to, you want to touch on you want to go through your, some bits and pieces from your article on double masters today.
1: Well, I think this set's really nuts. I think I I try to touch on a few cards that I think are dead. Um, Like Champion Lambhold's probably dead, right? Like it gets printed three times in a year. It's donezo. Because anytime they print a card three times in a year, it's not like, well, we'll leave it alone forever. They're they're just gonna keep coming back to that wealth. The way they just keep hammering us with black market. You know, that's just another one of those cards. I'm like, this'll rebound, and then it just keeps getting pounded into dust. So they're ignoring cards. And they're overprinting cards, so anything that gets overprinted, I think, um, I think you leave alone. And Champion is an example of that from the article. Um, I talked about exploration that I really like, and um, and then I mentioned um, some of the penny stock type stuff. You know, like if you can get Conjurer's Claws out of like a buck, that probably goes back up. Um, so one card I didn't mention in the article that I kind of like is Time Civ. Sure. Which doesn't get played as much. It's sort of farther down on the um, on the list on EDHREC, but like I think it's just a, a solid card, and there's no real substitute for what it does. You know, um, it's not played in a ton of decks, but like if you're a blue-black artifact matters deck, that extra turn is nuts, especially since it combos with um, Thopter Assembly. Right, you right, sack right. all the you sack all the thopters to take an extra turn, and it thopter. So for six mana, you just take infinite turns. I think that's um, that's great. And time is gonna be basically a bulk rare, but like it doesn't get printed all that often. So that's a card that I think left alone, it just goes back up. Like it was in the mystery booster, and um, it was in double masters. But I don't think two in a year on a two dollar fifty cent card is going to kill it. So I, I kind of think Time Civ, if they leave it alone for a couple years, probably rebounds. Um, something like Council's Judgment could potentially go back up. But um, I think the cards in the 20 to $25 range are really the ones to watch. Because I think if they get below like 15 all of a sudden people that are like, I will never afford a Mana Echoes are all of a sudden like, all right, I got it. So I think you can actually create demand by virtue of not pricing them out of people's collections anymore. So I think if something like Mana Echoes, that was like a $45 card, gets to 15 all of a sudden the number of decks it's in goes up just on the basis of people like not having to rule it out as an option completely. So I kind of think anything in like the Dark Depths to Mana Echoes range in price... I think anything like that um, that you watch get real cheap, that could be a pickup.
0: Yeah, you also called out Toxic Deluge as a card that's probably going to gain momentum um, before a reprint. What do you think of the uh, box topper art? Do you like the Richard Kane Ferguson?
1: Yeah, and more importantly, um, I think anybody who knows who Richard Kane Ferguson is has been playing Magic long enough that they have a real grown-up job now. So I really like them going back to like the artists that were illustrating when they first started playing. And those people are, you know, they've either got the expendable income, you know, from their big boy job. Now I, I like them tr- trying to market to players of a certain age by cards of a certain era. So I, I think uh,
0: going back to RKF was a, a really good call there. I do prefer that art. Just occurred to me. It's not Devry, It's Derevi imperial tactician that we were talking about earlier uh, they t- name t- cards the like robert
1: jordan names wheel of time characters <laughs>
0: everyone's got like
1: ev- the same name
0: <laughs> Bombolo Johansson johansen was a great wizard of the mountains i'm savro not savro oh sorry uh, all right well, we can probably wrap things up uh you guys where can people find you online jason
1: Well, if you go to Jason E. Alt on Twitter, I have a pin post at the top of my profile that talks about all the various places I contribute content to the internet. As we said at the top of the show, I am a writer at mtgprice.com. I hang out in the Discord, and we'll answer your direct questions there. I am a writer at uh, coolstuffinc.com. I almost said gathering magic. I'm old school. At coolstuffinc.com, where I write the 75% EDH column. So between um, my EDH column on uh, on cool stuff and my EDH finance column on MTG price, I sort of uh, think about EDH all the time, which is why all my specs are so EDH centric. I'm on the Brainstorm Brewery finance podcast, which if you've, you've not heard of it, it is a <laughs> fantastic
0: the, the may, maybe
1: the second best MTG finance podcast there is. And and uh, at least the original. Yeah, the we... We were first, which is why we called it Brainstorm Brewery. So people would have no idea it was an MTG Finance podcast. <laughs> I was not consulted in the naming process, but I was uh, glad to join the cast, and I'm glad to still be a member of that cast over 400 episodes later. Well, I mean, um, as I
0: learned on your 400th episode, you weren't one of the original cast of characters. You're, you're a, a temp like a DJ. That's right. I joined as a guest for
1: episode 10 and then episode 15 and then yeah. So I was I was the new guy for like
0: 4 years. Yeah. Congrats um, on the 400. That's uh, no small milestone. I I don't know how we did it. I'm those of you who listen to both casts, thank you
1: so much for uh for your support over the years. It's been fantastic. I've been I've been writing MTG Finance articles since like 2011. So it's uh it's been I haven't had to get a grown-up job, so yeah. it's been it's been really good. I've been able to work in um, MTG finance content for like the last decade. It's been pretty crazy, and it's not all finance. I have a movie podcast called Film Hooligans on the They Said We Said YouTube network. That's um something. If you care about my opinions on non-magic stuff, that's something to check out. And I'm the content manager on edhrec.com so if you like the fact that there is a podcast and articles on Rec, i'm responsible for that and if you don't like them joey schultz is responsible for that so um thanks to everyone who listens to that podcast and reads those articles and uses uh, the site as a finance resource
0: i, I have a question for you ha- have sure you thing. seen uh, have you watched the platform aka the whole yeah the on Netflix. Yeah
1: it's a it's a spanish language
0: yeah yeah that was great it's like it was like a two-hour allegory about human ethics and just daggers <laughs> daggers to the heart especially in 2020 real good watch all right I'd like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best mtg finance minds in the business, and a super active discord forum that will, indeed, no matter what the prof tells you, drive better returns and save you money. Playing Magic the Gathering.
1: Once again, mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by coolstuffinc.com where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles and my articles. Use the promo, use the promo code FINANCE5, that is the number 5, during checkout at www.coolstuffinc.com. I could have just said Cool Stuff, Inc. I don't know why I threw in the WW. I sound like a boomer when I do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That brings us to the end of MTG Fast Finance Podcast. I've really enjoyed our discussion today, James. If you would like to know more about becoming a pro trader, go to HTTP (laughs) colon slash slash www.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Jason. And we'll see you guys all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.